So anyway, this morning, <clears throat> we're going to talk about joy and trials. As I was, uh, oh, about two weeks ago, I guess it was, I was heading out to Oakdale to uh, do a painting job. And uh, it was during that big snow or rainstorm and windstorm. And it was, it was pouring down rain and probably had about 30 mile an hour winds. And uh, I noticed that along the side of the road, is, is, uh, it was like a big lake in the Ammon Orchard there. For about a half a mile, I noticed that there was a bunch of <clears throat> uh, almond trees that had fallen over. And uh, any of you that uh, are farmers and know much about almond trees know that an almond tree uh, has a very shallow root system. It doesn't go very deep. And uh, so it doesn't take a whole lot of water and a lot of wind to actually blow them over. And so that's what happened. But immediately my mind went, as I had been studying about joys and trials, my mind went uh, to their trials and our testings in our own lives. And do you know why those almond trees fell? And it was because they had a low and shallow root system. And that's just the way it is with us. When the storms of life come, when the winds begin to blow and the rains come, if we aren't rooted deep in the Lord Jesus Christ, we too will fall. That's just the way it is. If we aren't firm in the Word and in the Lord. And how you and I handle our trials and our troubles and our testings here will reveal whether our faith is real or whether our faith is genuine, whether it is living or whether it is dead, whether it is saving or whether it is non-saving faith. In Luke 8, 13 through 15, in the parable of the sower, Jesus explained, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing they fall away. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are ch choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. And that brings us to our message this morning. As we look in James, the first chapter, Joy in Trials or Joy in Suffering. We'll probably, first of all, read James uh, verses 1 through 12 is where we'll be speaking from. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For, what, for that person must not suppose or think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, 
unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low, let the lowly brother boast in his exultation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with scorching heat, withers the grass, and its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I think before we start, we want to approach God in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you, Lord, realizing that we are so weak and undone without you, Father. We uh, completely rely upon you. Uh, Lord, we're thankful this morning that we have this opportunity to open your word and to preach your word. I ask that you will guide my thoughts and my hearts, my heart, and that you'll guide my tongue and guard my tongue, Lord. Help me to uh, preach it with passion and with authority by your word. Father, I trust completely in you, knowing that what you do is always good. And so we just give you all the glory and honor this morning and trust you, Father. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll start in James uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It's warm. And uh, where it says, James. James. <clears throat> so he tells us who the author is. There's actually four different Jameses in the New Testament. But as I read after most uh, commentaries and I did some studying myself, it's, it seemed very prominent that the James that he's talking about here was uh, the half-brother of Jesus. For those of you who would like to take maybe some time and, and study into that, I can give you a few verses that you could look up uh, for your own, uh, your own study. Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it talks about Jesus and his half-brothers. Acts 1, 14, devoting to prayer. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, Jesus appeared to James. Galatians 2, 9 through 12, who seemed to be pillars. It talked about him, a leader in the church. Acts 12, 17, again, report those things to James and the brothers. And I think that's all we'll say about that, just for the sake of time. So we see James is a half-brother of Jesus, and he tells us about his character. He says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is a servant? This speaks of the humility of James. A servant in the Greek means doulos, which means bond slave. Now a bond slave is very interesting. A bond slave was someone who was owned by another man or another person. A bond slave had no rights. A bond slave had no plans. A bond slave had no importance. A bond slave had no freedom. A bond slave lived what? Only to serve his master. And in James' case here, it was the Lord Jesus Christ and God. So we see that the author was James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he was a bond slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. And who did he minister to? He ministered, it says, to those, the 12 tribes of the dispersion. It's referring to the nation of Israel. It's referring to all Jews who were dispersed 
those who were scattered abroad, those who were under persecution. So we see there that he was writing to those Jews who were scattered abroad. And he says greetings. Greetings. When we see this word greetings, what it means is charion in the Greek, which means rejoice or be glad. So really, James was expected to gladden his hearers or his readers' hearts by giving them means to verify the genuineness of their salvation as they went through trials. That's what it was for. And that's really for us here in the 21st century today. It's to gladden our hearts. I hope this, that's what this, this message is all about. Count it all joy, we'll see. Because it is to, we want to gladden our hearts as we go through testings and trials in this life. First of all, in verse 2 and 3, we find this, a joyful attitude. Count it all joy. Count it all joy here is, if you remember nothing else, remember that. Count it all joy. And he says, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The Greek word here, hegiomio, for count means to consider. Consider is an imperative because joy is not normal response for trouble. Actually, joy in trouble or joy in trials is, is kind of a paradox and it's kind of opposite. And I don't know about you, but I usually don't wake up in the morning and say, wow, I get to go through trials today. I can't hardly wait. Praise the Lord. That's not usually the way we respond, is it, to to trouble. But we, but you know, the word tells us here that we're actually commanded to consider or to meet trials when our faith is genuine. James assures us even our trials are reasons for rejoicing. When we have this kind of attitude, James admonishes that we find our greatest joy is in drawing closer to the Lord. We grow in the study of God's Word. We grow in prayer. And we have a closer walk with God. That's the way I find it in my life. You know, when I was 14 years old, I lost my dad. And I didn't just say, hey, praise the Lord. But you know what? It made me, and it drew me closer to God. It drove me to my knees. And that's what trials do. You know, Hebrews 12, 2, 3, and 4 says, For the joy set before him, which is Jesus Christ, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of God interceding for us. If our Lord could endure the unimaginable anguish that he endured by taking the sins of the world upon himself, can we not endure our trials? Also, a good example in the Old Testament, and the reason we had Job read this morning, thank you, Cheryl, was because we see a man here who went through tremendous trials. It says that Job was one of the most wealthy men of the East. 
He was blameless and he was an upright man. He was a believer in God. Very strong. But in one day, what happened to him? We heard it read. That's why we had that read. He lost 7,000 sheep, 300 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. And if there was a couple of male donkeys there, that's a lot of donkeys. And there was a lot of servants and homes and all ten children in one day. One day he lost it all. How would you or I handle these trials? You know how Job did? He told us in about the 22nd verse there. Job said, in verse 21, he said, Naked I came into this world, and naked I'll go out. He said, The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's unimaginable. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a testimony. There's another one in the New Testament about the Apostle Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. When Paul and Silas were thrown into prison, they were beaten with rods, and they were, had their hands and their feet in stocks, and they were spread out, and they were stretched to the max. You talk about pain. That was a lot of pain. And they were inside this smelly, dirty prison cell. And what did they do? At midnight, it says, Paul and Silas prayed to God and sang hymns to God. At midnight, in all that, all that testing and trial, they were joyful. What a testimony. When our grandson Austin this summer was laying in the hospital up in Oakland in the ICU, and he was really close to the end of life, we went up to see him one day, and, and while we were there, Aaron and I went out to, my son Aaron and I went into the waiting room a little bit, and we're talking, and I could tell that he was, you know, he was really, really stressed. A lot on him. But you know, I asked him, I said, son, how are you doing? And you know what he said to me? <clears throat> I'll never forget that. He said, dad, I consider it a privilege to suffer. I consider it a privilege and I thought, yeah, what a testimony. That was a living testimony. He counted it joy in the midst of trials. Even in tough times, we can find joy. Philippians 2.17 says, Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, Paul was glad to give his all for Jesus Christ. James make it, makes it clear when he's speaking to the Jewish believers. He's calling them my brothers. My brothers. It notes a very special love and identification. He uses the word when, whenever. He doesn't say if you fall into various trials, but when. Indicating that we will fall into various trials. They're going to come. We are certain to face trials, and we should expect them, because they will come. 
Various translates in the Greek, which means variegated, multicolored or varied. James points out that our trials will come in many ways, many shapes, many forms, many degrees. They are meant to test you and I, believers' faith. So he says, count it all joy. Verse 3, it tells of an understanding mind. For the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. Genosko in the Greek means something that is not only factual, but also a personal experience. As Christians, we know from our own experiences, not just from the Word of God, that the test of our faith produces steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. Testing is, a different, from, is different from trials. It means testing something to prove whether it is genuine. We find out whether our faith is real or not. Steadfastness means patience. It means endurance. It means perseverance. It means patiently enduring trials while trusting in the Lord develops permanent inner quality of strength which increases each time a trial is patiently and trustingly endured. Psalms 40.12 says, David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit and he set my feet. He brought me up out of the pit and out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. The Lord will not allow us to face anything that we cannot overcome by His divine power. Hebrews 11 gives us a long list of testimonies of men and women who went through and endured testings for the Lord's sake. They were stoned in verse 37 and 39 of Hebrews 11. It says they were stoned they were sown, sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death by the sword, they, wrote, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, ill-treated, wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the earth. And it says all these gained approval by faith. Isn't that amazing? Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Those godly men and women showed us true, saving, genuine faith. That by God's provision of security makes it possible for our perseverance. Only by God's perseverance. Security. Without God, we could not go through these things without His grace. The Bible makes it clear that no person who comes to God by saving faith can ever, ever be separated by the Savior. In St. John 10, 28 and 29, it says, that My sheep know my voice, and it says, No man is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
We are safe and secure in Christ. And 2 Timothy 1.12 says, I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him until that day. He is able, not me, but he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. In verse 4, we see a submissive will. <clears throat> we need a submissive will. In verse 4, it says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In the previous verse, we learned that steadfastness was endurance, patience, or perseverance. Here, James is telling us that when our faith is tested, we should endure patiently to the end of that testing. We should have a submissive will. The only way out of trials is not under them or through, over them, but it's through them. We have to go through our trials. And God cannot do His complete or perfect will in our lives without our submission. He needs our submission. And we find in, in Job uh, 5.8, Eliphaz, one of his friends there, declared wisely, he said, As for me, I would seek God, and I would place my cause before God, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the field, so that he sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted up to safety." Those who are meek and lowly will endure. Why do we stay, stay steadfast in our trials? So that we can be perfect and complete. This word perfect in the Greek means that which is fully developed. We want to be fully developed in Christ. And that's what our trials do to us. They make us more mature spiritually in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's desire was for the, those at Philippi. When he wrote to Philipp, Philippians 4.19, he says, My little children, for I am an anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, until you come to full maturity in Jesus Christ. He then says, lacking in nothing. We want to be fullness of Christ. That is what he means when we, he says perfect and complete. We have come to complete maturity in Jesus Christ. And that's what trials will do to us. In 1 Peter 5.10 he says, After you have suffered a little while, Peter assures us that the God of all grace who called you to eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You will find you have matured in Christ when you are more useful for Christ, you are more willing to serve Christ, you are more willing to give Him glory. That's when we know that we have come to full maturity. We see that in our own lives. We are driven more to our knees. We are driven more to the Word of God. We spend time studying it. 
We don't just lay it on the shelf and let it draw dust. And we desire to give him glory. Verses 5 and 8 comes to a believing heart. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If we have true saving faith, trials will never destroy us. They'll only test us and make us better. How can true saving faith take us through trials? With a joyful attitude have we seen, with an understanding mind, with a submissive will, and in the next verses, a believing heart. So many times when we face trials, we run to a friend. I do. I'll run to a brother. I'll run to a neighbor. I'll run to a family member. I might go to a counselor, a guidance counselor. And don't get me wrong, there's times where we need that. There are those that maybe have a mental uh, issue that they need that care. So we're not downplaying that. But James says, in the case of our trials and our testings, he says, if you need help through this, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him what? Ask God. If we ask God, what does he say? He says he'll do it. He will give it to you generously. And he won't laugh at you or he won't put you down for asking. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your, I love that verse, with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. If you and I need wisdom this morning, in our trials, in our testings, whatever you're going through, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I only know what I've, battle with but I'll guarantee you one thing we're all going through testings we all have them if we're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning we will go through trials it's just it's that simple because we need that to grow but God alone can give us wisdom Anything that you need spiritually, you can go to God and know He'll give it to you. I can't ask for a new Corvette. Maybe I'd like one. But I can't just say, Lord, give me a new Corvette and it's going to be out there in the driveway tomorrow morning. (laughs) But I can ask God, Lord, help me through this trial. It's severe. And you know what? He'll help me. He's promised. He'll fill it. And I'm going to read uh, Job 28, 12 through 23 quickly here because this shows that wisdom is found alone in God Job 28 I'm going to read it because there's a few verses here that I I just think we need to read 28 uh, starting at verse uh, 12 through 23 but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding man does not know its worth It's not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with gold. 
And silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious ox or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. But God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. God understands wisdom. That's why we need to go to God. If any of you lack wisdom, go to God. If we ask God, he will give generously without reproach. He won't reprimand us. James is showing us that God will never, he will never cast even the mildest reproach on us, his children, who come seeking wisdom in the time of trouble and testing. He knows our flesh is weak. He understands us. He made us. And he is willing to give us divine wisdom if we only come to him and ask. God said to the people of Israel in Psalm 81.10, I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth, and I will fill it. He will give to us what? Generously. Let him ask in faith, not doubting. Have we ever doubted God can give us what we need? I have. I don't understand why God sent me this trial or that trial right now. When we, doubt, when we are doubting, we're doubting God's power, God's supply, and God's will in our lives. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Philippians 4, 19 says, But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God will do that. He will provide all our needs. In verse 7, he says, we've all seen the waves of the sea. Those of us have been over by the ocean. You know how the, how the sea and the waves begin to come in. They beat hard and they get beat uh, over and under and up and down and all around the place. And it's, it's like those of us believers who ask, and it's really no request at all because we foolish, foolishly believe it will not be honored by God. If we're like that, we are very immature. We are tossed here and there by waves. And our faith is shallow. But James tells us that that person is lukewarm. He is not hot or cold, and he will not receive anything, it says, of the Lord. Revelation 3.16 says, Christ says, the Laodicean church, so because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's pretty severe. Verse 8 tells us that he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Although we claim to be a believer, our actions many times reveals that we may be unbelievers. 
It is like we have two minds. We are a friend of the Lord and a friend of the world. That just won't work. It's like water and oil. They don't mix together. John tells us that we either love the Father or we love the world. In 1 John 2.15 it says, If any of you loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. So here he calls the double-minded sinners. I don't think we want to be there. And it's my prayer this morning that there is none of us that come under that category. Verse 9 through 11 tells us this. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. These are kind of interesting verses here, the next, this next verse or so. James addresses the saint who was poor financially and who represented most of the scattered and persecuted Jewish believers. That was their lot in life. They were poor. Many of them at one time was financially well off. But they lost their homes and their possessions and they were driven out of the land, forced to leave. At this time in their lives, it was the most common lot to be in poverty. The lowly brother should boast in his exaltation. Every believer today who is maybe considered in poverty or poor, can boast in his high position. Why? It's pretty plain. He says, you know, you may not have much here, but you have it all over there. You may be hungry. He has the bread of life. You may be thirsty. He has the water of life. You may be poor, he has eternal riches. You may be cast aside by men, you have been eternally received by God. You may have no home on earth, but you own a mansion over there. You may have no inheritance here, but it's reserved for you in heaven. You know, it reminds me of a story, actually I'll give about my mother and father-in-law. This has been a good many years ago now. They lived up above Tuolumne City, up in the mountains. My father ran a, uh, father-in-law ran a big uh, construction business. Things went south. I don't know if it was a recession at that time. I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I know uh, things went bad for him. And one thing led to another, and he lost everything, and they lost their home. Um, the bank came out one day and a couple of men uh, drove up and they brought the, uh, I get the papers where they was going to uh, take the home back and give them, I don't know, so many days they had to move out. But in the course of that time, my mother took a, a, a big sign, a great big sign, and she nailed it on, the, on a tree that was standing right there in the front of the house where 
when they came up there, they couldn't miss it. It was right at them. And uh, she quoted that verse in, in uh, John 14 where he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. And she said, My mansion's over there, and it's bought, and it's paid for, and you can't take that one. Let the lowly brother be exalted. They were exalted because they lost it all here, but she knew that through this testing and through this trial, she had a better place in heaven. Her mansion was there. Then it goes on and it says, let the rich man in his humiliation... You know, if you're rich today, he says, rejoice, because when trials come, they will teach you and I <clears throat> what material things are all about. It tells us of their inability to give inner satisfaction <clears throat> or peace, especially spiritually. And I've, I've experienced some of that. I've not been rich, but I've been well enough off. And so many times when that happens, we tend to, we kind of get really lax. We get a little lazy in our spiritual life, don't we? We, we, we tend to, to kind of almost think, well, we're doing this or we're building this. When no, we're, we're not. It has nothing to do with us, really. Without God's strength, we would be poor. But you know, 1 Peter 1, 24 tells us, but you are like the flower of the grass and you will pass away. And we see that in James as well here. Because we have such a tendency to trust in riches and material things, James gives, James gives special attention to the dangers of wealth. He speaks about the riches many times. And in verse 11, this is a picture of the flowers and the grasses in Israel. You know, they bloom victoriously in, in February, but they just die out in May. And the loss of material things for the rich man is meant to drive us to the Lord and to greater spiritual maturity and growth and blessing. That's what it's all about. So whether we're rich or whether we're poor this morning, we are all exactly alike in the Lord. We're the same. It doesn't matter whether you drive a Cadillac or whether you drive a Volkswagen. We are the same in Christ. If you're rich, rejoice that you have been brought low in humiliation. What you have is given to you by God. If you are poor, rejoice that you have been exalted. What you have has been given to you by God. The poor brother forgets his poverty and the rich brother forgets his riches. Whether we are rich or whether we are poor, we are united in Christ through our trials. We're united through our trials.
Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in help of time of need, in time of need. This morning we would like to end our study here with verse 12. And verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And James starts out here with the word blessed. It's kind of interesting because he it almost sounds like verse 2 here. He talks about count it all joys, brothers, when you meet various trials. And the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here he says, blessed is the man who has stood the test, who's remained steadfast under trial. The word blessed, <clears throat> the Lord means a deep inner joy and satisfaction that only the Lord himself can give. It's a deep satisfaction and joy that only the Lord himself can give. We are able by his grace, by his grace and his grace alone, to be able to endure trials. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, he tells us, in this you rejoice. Though you now for a little while, if, you, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, though, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's telling us here that the one who remains steadfast under trials are the ones who are victorious over trials. We have endured the test. That's a joy, isn't it, to endure the test. When the testings of life come and we go through it with joy, we are victorious. Oh, victory in Jesus, as we sang this morning. We have won the battle. We are winners over our trials. It is actually the state of our soul in ecstasy. It is a living proof or proof of a living, saving faith. Then he goes on and he says, and he has stood the test, he will receive what? The crown of life. And the crown of life is eternal life, is that place called heaven that we all look forward to when this life is over. Our steadfastness and our perseverance is the result, the result and evidence of salvation and eternal life. To those who love him, he ends up with, to those who love him. That definition is a definition of a Christian. Just a simple definition, those who love him. 
We who are Christians have an ongoing love for God even though we're going through severe trials. John repeatedly connects love of God with genuine faith. In John 4, 16, he says, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So we see that if we really love God, we are going to keep his commandments. We're going to show and manifest his love to others. In closing, 1 Peter 1.8, he says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you have not seen him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Boy, what a blessing that will be. I don't know about you, but I, I can't hardly wait until I can get there. <laughs> uh, I can receive that crown of life, which the Lord, only God, can give. We'll enjoy heaven forever. Our trials and our testings and our troubles here will be all over. There'll be no tears, no sorrows, no heartaches, no pain. I don't know what you are going through this morning, but you know, some of you probably have lost husbands or wives, or maybe you're going through a divorce, maybe you're going through pain, you're enduring pain in your body, maybe you're going through cancer or heart ailments or, you know, what have you. There's all types of things, of trials and troubles that we battle with. Maybe you're having trouble in your family, speaking with someone in your family. That's a heartache. Uh, I don't know. But I do know this morning that we can count it all joy. We really can. It's been kind of amazing because about a month ago I started you know, reading this. I read it over and over and over and over. Prayed it over and over and over. And during that time, I knew, just as sure as I'm standing here, that Satan was going to send some testings. Because he doesn't want his word preached. That's the last thing he wants to hear is count it joy. He doesn't want his people going around with a joyful attitude when they go through trials. That's a testimony for Jesus Christ. He hates that. So he tried, he tried to throw some tests my way. I got to a job here just the other morning, and, and, and the contractor said, hey, he said, there's, there's pits in your enamel here on these doors. And, you know, it looked pretty good, but needed to have another coat. So, well, that was kind of a little bit of a testing. Another eight hours work, but, you know, hey, that's the way it works. So... Because I was going through this, I was able, by God's grace, to count it joy, to say, Lord, hey, you're, you're trying to give me more patience or something here. You're going to make me more like Christ. And that's really why that we can count it all joy this morning when we go through trials, 
and testings is because we realize that through these trials and through these testings, whatever they might be, how difficult, how easy, how hard, how severe, it will make us more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what it's all for. May God receive all the glory this morning. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, uh, just grateful and thank you for your word. Your word is spirit and it's life and it's truth. And it's relevant. Each and every uh, page is relevant to our lives here in the 21st century. I pray that each one here this morning, that our hearts have been touched by the Word of God and that by the Spirit of God and that you will cause us to go from here this morning in whatever testing and trial that awaits us. Lord, help us to do so, to accept it with joy. That others might see the joy in our hearts, in our lives, and they'll be drawn to Jesus Christ. That's what we desire this morning. It's because we love you. We desire to live a life that is holy, acceptable in your sight, Father. And we want to give you all the glory and honor which is due you and you alone. And I thank you and praise you what you have accomplished this morning in Christ Jesus. And in his precious name, amen.